had spoken to me when I was in Chicago one weekend about the orphans I had been working with in Haiti and in Brazil and street kids and how they all acted a certain way. They all responded to situations the same way and how many times we respond in the same way within the church to one another. And the Bible tells us that we were orphans before. We were outside the family of God, and then he adopted us into his family. But just as when a kid, a street kid, or an orphan gets adopted into a family, they don't change just like that. They have mindsets. They've experienced trauma. They've built walls. And it takes a lot to break down those walls. It takes a lot to re train their way of thinking to help them think in a healthy way and in the same way in the church when we've been brought into the family of God we have ways of thinking and doing patterns habits that need to be renewed that need to be changed so that we're healthy and they don't just automatically happen the Bible says we wash our minds through truth the word of God and so we've been looking at seven this is the seventh attribute of these orphans and street kids that I've noticed. And um, I'll share some stories from um, the kids in Haiti and then what it's looked like in my life, how I've functioned in the orphan mentality and how it can be seen in the church. So today it, we're talking about generosity. Orphans and street kids cannot give their stuff away. They have a very, they're typically hoarders. They want to keep everything. And why? Because they're afraid of lack. They've lived in lack. And especially in the countries that I've lived in, in Brazil and Haiti, third, two third world countries, there was a lot of lack. I, in Haiti, there, was pe there were people who ate once every three days, once every four days, kids that didn't eat every day. Um, and so there's lack. So if they have something, they're trying to keep it so that it will last for them as long as that it can. Because if they give it away, they think, I'm not going to have it. I won't have what I need. I'm going to be hungry again. I have to protect what I have um, because if I give it away, I'll be in lack again or I'll need. Um, and they have a really hard time giving anything. So in Haiti, when I was, I was directing this orphanage, 29 children, it was wild Sundays. But we taught every Friday on generosity because we recognized it was a very big thing um, just for kids living in poverty but also just with the orphan mindset, they, they don't like to give away. So we talked about how everything that we have is from God. Everything. Your job is from God. The money that you make from your job is from God. Nothing that we have have we gained on our own. The talents that we have, the gifts that we have. The reason why we have our jobs is because God gave us the talent and the gift set to be able to obtain the job that we have so we could make the money that we have. You see where it's going. It's all from the Lord. So we shared that regularly with the kids. Um, God's generosity towards us is never meant for us alone. It's never meant to be hoarded selfishly. It's meant to be shared always with the people around us. Um, and so we were, I've shared before how weekly we would go to the soccer field. It was about a mile down the mountain. And now taking 29 kids to walk a mile down a mountain is crazy. They're going wild, running everywhere. Well, we were going to go play soccer, and I tell everyone, we're leaving in 10 minutes. You need to have your clothes on, your shoes on. I'm at the gate waiting. If you're not there, you're not going. And they knew that I was serious because kids had been left behind before. 
So everyone starts running. They're running into their rooms to try to get ready. And I'm yelling out the time. We're leaving in six minutes. We're leaving in five minutes. Well, Pierre Richard, the little cuddle buddy, that little boy, he comes running to me crying. Mom, Mom, I don't have shorts. They took my shorts. I don't have shorts. And I'm like, okay, someone must have shorts for you. There's 16 boys. There's shorts that you could borrow. And so he's like, no, nobody will let me. They don't have it. And I'm thinking, we just did all the laundry, hand washing, the day before. So I know there are shorts somewhere. So I go into the boys' room, and I say, okay, who has shorts for Pierre Richard? And all the boys, I don't. Not, nobody has anything. Nobody knows where anything is. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going until this is resolved. Um, Wesley was wearing, a little boy named Wesley was wearing Pierre Richard shorts. So finally, the time's ticking, 5, 10, 15 minutes as people are looking for shorts now. So I finally decide, okay, we are not going anymore. I'm sorry. If we can't find shorts for Pierre Richard, we're not leaving. As soon as I said that, Jordani, who's 15 years old, takes off a pair of shorts. He was wearing two pairs of shorts, both pairs of his shorts, because he was trying to protect what was his. But he kind of weighed the options. Do I want to go to the soccer field or do I want to share my shorts. So he took off his shorts. Everyone burst into laughter. And I'm trying not to laugh because I was trying to be serious and correcting, but I couldn't. I started laughing. I'm like, oh my gosh, that whole, that whole scenario of a half an hour because Jordani was trying to protect his shorts. He was like, I've got to throw on both so nobody asks because they, each kid only had a, f a couple articles of clothing. They didn't have a wardrobe of clothing. They had like four or five articles of clothing. So they were really protective about their things. They didn't want to let anyone touch their stuff in case it got ruined or in case someone else ripped it, which is understandable, but it was a, an orphan mindset. If I don't, if I allow someone else to use it, I will be in lack. It will be destroyed. Something will happen, and so I can't give it away because if I give it away, I won't have it. Um, the kids every day, we would eat two meals a day. So like I said, two meals a day is quite a bit for that area. It doesn't sound like much. We would eat at 10 a.m., a big plate of cornmeal, and then about 3 or 4 p.m., we'd have a big plate of cornmeal again or rice. And the kids, though, in their rooms, they had these little cubbies. They were like felt cubbies about this big, and they kept their articles of clothing, notebooks, pens, notes, that they had anything that they owned went in that cubby, but it was strictly off limits to food because there are tarantulas, there's cockroaches, there's critters that come and feed on the food. We had two meals a day every day without fail. We weren't lacking in food, but because these kids grew up lacking food, even though they had experienced the faithfulness of having food every day, Something still was inside of them from trauma that said, if I get hungry, I, I might not have food. They would stow away food in their cubbies, always, and they would get trouble for it um, or get disciplined for it. Sometimes someone, one of their relatives or someone from the village would give them a piece of fruit. Well, they would go store it and save it in their cubby, but they would save it for days because they were waiting for that moment that they were so hungry and then they could pull it out and be like, look, I have food and no one else does. The reason why they were doing that 
was not because we were in lack, not because of a, a need that they had. They were, it was out of fear and trauma of going without food. I don't think many of us really understand that because we're in Western culture, we're in America, I don't know if any of us have gone unwillingly without food, right? So we fast as a church community. That's us willingly going without food. Maybe, maybe some in here have, I don't know. But have you ever gone unwillingly without food where there was not provision for you to eat for days in a row? And no, what do you think? Look at all these little kids here. Kids are hungry a lot. Imagine your kid having to go to sleep without food, without water, and being starving, crying themselves to sleep, Ma, and you can't provide for them. You don't have what they need. Devastating, right? That's, that's traumatic. And so these kids would uh, has have this trauma, and they respond because of that trauma. These actions are coming out of that. And so we had to you know, constantly remind them, we have enough. You don't, there's going to be food tomorrow. You don't have to save. They would cut their plate in half of cornmeal and go stick it in their box. I'm like, we're not putting cornmeal in our boxes. That's disgusting. And then they would just scoop it out with their hands. Like, that's how desperate and out of trauma that they were reacting. Um, the when when I was there on the island, it was incredible. God was doing a lot of stuff in the kids and in our community, so much so that one market day, which was on Tuesday, another village pastor and his wife came from 45 minutes away, searched me out within the village market. I was the only white person on the island, so they knew right how to find me. And they come up to me and they say, we have heard of what God is doing. Because the kids were... We were taking him out to the market and laying hands on the sick, and the sick were being healed. A deaf man had his, he had, was deaf since birth, and one of the kids, a little seven-year-old, said, be healed in Jesus' name, and that guy's ears opened. So stuff like that's happening. Another village is hearing about it and saying, what are you doing? We need what you have. This pastor and his wife came. They had taken in 15 orphans themselves. Now, this is a Haitian pastor and his wife. They don't have what they need to feed that many kids. She said, they had brought me a gift of food from the land. And they said, here, can we come and spend a day with you? Can we come and see what you're doing, what God's doing? And we said, of course, come. Um, they said, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough clothing for our kids. So I said, well, wait right there. And I run up to the orphanage. And now we had some bins of clothing for when the kids' clothes really wore out. We'd have some backup. People had donated. But it was beautiful stuff, beautiful new clothes. So I called all the kids into the room, and I said, okay, there's another village that has 15 kids, and they don't have clothes. I'm going to give all of you the opportunity to pick some of your new clothes to give to them because we don't give junk. We're not going to give them our ripped we're not going to give them our old stuff. We're going to pick from the new stuff. You don't have to, but whoever wants to. So only half the kids stayed, which was fine. Um, but they, they stayed, about 15 of them, perfect, right? And they each picked something. And I remember Dina. Dina was a, that little feisty one who that always gave a problem. Well, she's roaming through the clothes, and she picks up this dress that has a Disney princess on it. And it was beautiful. And I could see she was like, do I give this away? I really want this. I don't know about this. But then she finally walked it over and she said, I want to give this one. 
and I'm like, oh, my heart warms. Wow, she's learning. She's not hoarding. She's learning to give her stuff. Well, then we give all the clothes. The pastor and his wife leave, and I'm thinking, I wonder if they'll actually come. It's a 45-minute drive. There's 15 of them. That's a lot of money for motorcycles, you know, on on the mountainous um, drive. But they showed up at 11 o'clock several days later, four kids to a motorcycle, just flopping along, right? They show up, and we're having our morning meeting, and the staff come to me, the Haitian staff, and they go, Wesley, are these people eating with us today? And I was like, yes, they are. And they said, well, there's a problem. We would need to cook all the food that we have, and we wouldn't have food for the next few days for the kids. And market days not until three days later. So what do you want us to do? And I got so excited. And the staff were a little confused at my excitement. I'm like, yes. And they're like, what? What do you mean, yes? I'm like, show me the food. So we go to, s- go to our storage place. I see that we literally only have enough um, to feed everybody for that day. And I think, this is perfect. We're going to make all this food, and then God is going to supernaturally provide for us, and the staff are going to see this. The kids are going to see that God provides. So I said, make it all up. Make everything that we need to have for this. We're going to give a feast today. And they're like kind of panicked and a little excited. Like either this lady's crazy or God's going to do something cool. Thankfully, he did something cool. So they make up all the food and we're I'm so I'm like I was elated we're bouncing around having food everybody's hanging out it was such a wonderful time uh, together and that whole group leaves we sent them off with a bunch of stuff well you know what happened we had food enough every single day and the staff every meal came to me after breakfast Wesley there's enough for breakfast I'm like yes lunchtime Wesley we had enough for lunch every meal until market day we had enough that lasted us in surplus because and and imagine if we hadn't been generous with those that had come in we would have never seen the generosity or the miracle of multiplication in food i could have in that moment said "Eh, our kids are priority we need to make sure they have food that's wisdom You know, I don't want to make them go without, but I knew in that moment that God was saying, be generous. I can do signs and wonders. I go beyond what you're able to do. Teach these kids that I'm the provider here. You're not their provider. And that was the biggest thing the staff learned. That was the biggest thing that the kids learned was that God is the provider, that we don't have to be afraid to give because he multiplies it back. He takes care of us. Um, and that if we never allow ourselves to be in a position of need and to be reliant on God's provision, we'll never experience him as provider in that way where we're desperate, where we, we need him actually to come through. So how does this look like in the church, right? So we've been talking, these are about actual street kids and orphans. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. We have a really hard time with money. Now, you go into a church and someone talks about money and everyone cringes. Like, 
And I think some of this is from trauma within the church, right? There's been a lot of abuse surrounding money. There's been people who have taken money and used it wrongly within the church. So there's there's actually trauma and, and bad experiences that people are like, ah, I don't know about this. There was manipulation. They got my money. I don't like you talking about my money. Well, that's one thing, and there needs to be healing around that. But there's another thing that says, what I have is mine. And I think in Western culture as well, that's a huge part of our culture. We're independent. What's mine is mine, and you cannot tell me what to do with it. And we can't even talk about money without it being extremely uncomfortable. Like, oh, no, she's going to tell me I need to give what I have. Oh, no, she's going to talk about my bank account. Oh, no, she's going to talk about my money. I'm going to block my ears and close my eyes and pretend like it's not happening. We can't even teach about it biblically because of our culture, bad experience, or our opinions because, we, you know, we're afraid of someone telling us that we have to do something beyond what we're doing. Uh, money is a real tough thing, right? can get into us. Um, but a reminder, just like we told the kids, everything that we have is from God. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We're stewards of it only. We are stewards of every gift, every talent, every piece of money, our homes, our material things. Everything has been given as a gift from him. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift has come from the Father of lights. Every good gift has come from him. Everything that we have is his. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we don't just say, well, I did that for salvation. No, I'm giving him my life. That means everything. That means every part. Lord, you are Savior and Lord. Lord means you can do what you want to do with me. I'm surrendered to you because I know you're good. And what you have for me is good. So there's... There's those that, you know, we hold tightly to our things um, within the church. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. They don't want us to challenge us with it. But then there's the other one that recognizes generosity is from God, but holds everyone else to the standard of generosity, not themselves. So an example of this is, and I can say this because I've been a full-time missionary that has lived off of support before, um, but there are missionaries that feel entitled to the resources of others. They feel entitled that you need to support me because I've given my life to the, Lord, uh, to the work of the Lord, and so you need to support me. You need to sow into my life, and if you don't, I'm going to use a lot of scripture to show you why you're not biblical, you know, why you're not giving to me. Uh, the problem there is there's the entitlement. There is scripture that says the worker is worthy of his support. There's scripture that backs up supporting full-time workers of the gospel. There's scripture that supports that. But the I'm talking about the attitude of the heart of the one recipient who says, you, I'm holding you to a standard of generosity, and yet I don't hold my stand myself to the same standard. I say, I've given my life. I don't have to give my money. That sounds silly, but that's literally a thought. I've met so many missionaries who have that mindset. No, I'm giving my life, everything. But you ask them to sow in financially themselves, they say, I'm a missionary. So? Is not a missionary a Christian as well? Is not a missionary their money, God's money as well? 
right? It's the same principle. What's the state of our heart? Are we living open-handed before the Lord? I ten, uh, entitlement and generosity cannot live together. Entitlement and generosity cannot live together. If you have a sense of entitlement that this is mine, there will be a lack of generosity. You will only be giving what you feel comfortable to give what you want to give, what you decide to give, right? So I'm living at Street Life Ministries. That was the first ministry I lived with in New York. And I remember one day I was sitting in my room, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Wesley, I want you to get rid of all your clothes. Keep one pair of clothes for church, like one nicer pair, and then two workday clothes, and get rid of everything else. And I thought, what? No way. Like, I don't have a problem with clothes. I'm not attached to clothes. I grew up in a big family where we lived on hand-me-downs. I didn't ever get new things. Like, I don't have attachment to clothes. And the Lord said, no, I want you to give it all away. And I thought, no, God, like, why do you always make me do things? You don't make other people do things. You make me do everything and make me surrender everything. I don't see you telling other people to get rid of all their clothes. Why are you telling me to do that? And I went back and forth with him. I'm not attached to my clothes. I don't have a problem. And, he's, and then the Lord spoke to me, you obviously have a problem if you are not willing to get up right now and get rid of your clothes. You're arguing with me about this because you're attached. And I, you know, you can't win in an argument with the Lord. He always wins. So I'm convicted and annoyed and frustrated because I'm like, I don't like that it feels like it's always me. So I get up, I go get a trash bag, and I start ripping clothes out of my closet. And I'm like, this, I, was not, I was not doing it the right way. But I was, de- I was determined to be obedient to the Lord in that moment. I grabbed the two bags of clothes. I put them right in the clothes donation shed of the ministry. And I went back upstairs. And I felt yucky for a few days. And then I felt better about my obedience later, right? You're like, okay, it was worth it. I can live on a couple pairs of clothes. But what God was showing me there was that I had a sense of entitlement that I didn't realize was there. I thought... No, I'm not attached to clothes. No, I'm not attached to material things. Like, I can give away stuff. But when he asked me to and I pushed back, that really showed my state of heart. And I think that's, that's a good sign of where if God's asking you to give money and you push back or he's asking you to give something and you're like, mm, I don't, not that, don't take that from me. That is a place of entitlement in our hearts and it's an orphan mentality where you say, it's mine, I can't give or I won't have. Um, I was at another example. I was at a conference in Texas with Street Life Ministries. It was the last day of the conference, and they were taking an offering. And I'm sitting in the back corner, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, how much do you want me to give? And I hear specifically the number $300. Back then I had checks, and I thought, $300? I do not have $300 in my bank account. That's weird. All right, I was going to give 10 so 300 seems like a lot. And I'm like, I'm going to pray about this again. And I heard again, give $300. And I'm like, Lord, I don't have $300. So I had a decision to make. Either I'm going to give $10 because that's what I can give. I think I had about 50 in the bank account or something. So I thought, I'll give 10 That's a, that's a one-fifth. That's way more than a tenth. Like, that's good, right? Well, the Lord wants to give me to give more than I actually have. So I say, okay, God, I'm going to just trust you. 
I'm going to trust that you, you've got to have someone send me $300 before they cash this check because, you know, that, that's not good. That's not a good steward. So I write a check for $300, and I'm praying the whole way up, and I give it in, and I'm like, all right, Lord. The next day, we fly back to Street Life. I go to get my mail. Someone who had never supported me before in my life sent me a check for $300. There was no note in there. There was no letter. There was nothing on the memo. It was signed directly to my name, not to the ministry. $300. And I'm standing there, and I just burst into tears thinking, wow, God, imagine if I hadn't given the $300. I would have felt so much conviction coming home to that. <laughs> right? Like, oh, no, I should have done it. He was going to provide. But he he shows us his faithfulness. He stretches us so that we can see that he's the provider, that, that we aren't the ones that need to struggle and strive to make it happen. He's the one that does it. One last story. I was at Street Life. Now, this is where my orphan mentality came up a lot. You guys have heard so many stories about this. But I had a missionary friend named Gintati. She's from Lithuania. And she was working with Youth with a Mission in New York. And um, I knew she didn't have a lot of money. And I was going to go hang out with her. And I knew she liked these special coffees that she couldn't get because they're expensive. So I thought, oh, I'm going to really bless her. I'm going to go get her coffee, her favorite type. I'm going to go to her house and give it to her. So I pull up to the coffee shop on the street parking, and I see the meter there, and I had like a couple quarters. I think I had two quarters, and which would have got me 20 minutes. And I thought, I'm not going to be 20 minutes. I'm literally going to run in and run out. So I'm like, I'm not going to put any money in. And I heard the Lord say, no, put the money in. You'll bless the person behind you, like with extra minutes, whoever drives up. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm only going to be five minutes, like, I literally could just run in, run out. And so I went back and forth for a minute, and then I was like, you know what? That's right. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be super generous right now. I'm going to go give, put this in, even though I, I didn't really need it. Well, I walk up to the meter, and there was already an hour on there left from the person behind me. And I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, you can never outgive me. You were struggling to bless someone with 20 minutes because of two quarters, and I was planning to bless you with an hour. I left an hour. You can't outgive me. Your generosity is like this compared to mine. And I, I felt crappy after that. I put the quarters in, was like, mm, wah, wah, wah. I'm getting this little coffee. That's not very generous. <laughs> like, because the Lord's generosity is so much bigger. We can't outgive him. That's the wonderful thing about God when we see him for who he is. We can't outgive him. We could give and give and give some more. And he would still give back and give back. He loves a cheerful giver, not someone who gives begrudgingly or when I feel extra convicted, which were all my stories, right? I feel extra convicted, so I better do it. Well, I'd rather be like out of the overflow. Yes, I love to give in places that challenge me. Not just like I like to give when I have extra. No, I like to give to a place where it makes me feel uncomfortable because then I know that I'm challenging myself to know that God is provider, right? That we need to challenge ourselves to that. My brother Hudson, he, was, he did this thing once, which I thought was crazy. I don't know that I could ever do it, but he decided, this wasn't even something God told him to do. He decided to do it himself. He said, at the end of every month, I'm going to give away everything that's left in my bank account. So he, he, you know, he pays his bills at the beginning of the month. So at the end of the month, whatever's extra, 
he was going to just give away to whoever God told him to do it. And then the next month, start fresh. He did this for a year. Now, I don't know. That's crazy. He said there were times that people gave him money on like the 28th of the month. And he's like, I had a choice. Either I'm going to spend this real quick on myself or I can recognize that God gave this to me to allow me to be stretched in my generosity that I'm going to give it away. That this was given to me to give away. Sometimes the Lord gives to us literally just to be the person to give it to someone else. That happened to me once. I was leaving for Brazil to move there, and this girl said, the Lord, Gintari, the Lithuanian, she comes with this nice camera, one of those like professional ones. She said, the Lord told me to give this to you, and I'm thinking, are you sure? Because I am not a photographer, and I have no interest in cameras, and I'm like, this is really nice, and she is a photographer, but she said, the Lord told me to give this to you. So I'm like, okay, if he told you, I'll take it. Well, I get to Brazil, and I have this thing in my room, and I meet another girl, another missionary there, who came from a very poor area of Brazil, and she starts talking to me one day. I'm like, what do you think the Lord has, like, given you to do? And she said, I want to do photography. Like, my biggest dream is to have one of those cameras, like the special kind that you see, like, and she described it, and I'm thinking, oh, this is so cool. God spoke to Gintari to give me a camera. If I had rejected that, saying, no, no, I don't need that, like, that's really not something I'm interested in. If I had rejected her gift, I wouldn't have been able to be, I literally was just the one to bring it to. That's how much God loves us. He loved this other girl, Clegenia, so much, saw the desire in her heart for a camera, and he transferred it from a girl from Lithuania who was in New York City to a New York City girl going to Brazil to this one base because he loved Clegenia and wanted to get her a camera. When I gave her the camera, she was sobbing because of the love of God. That's Sometimes we're just that. We need to ask when we're given something, Lord, is this for me or do I give it to someone else? Is this meant for me or is it for someone else? David Van Fleet always said, you'll know where you value things when you look at your checkbook. He said, we don't really do checkbooks much. Maybe you do. We don't. But where you, where your bank, what do you spend your money on? You're going to look at your bank. Where you spend your money is what you value. What are you giving to the Lord? Where are you investing in the kingdom, in things that are, are eternal, that aren't just temporary and fleeting day to day? My, we grew up in a very generous family. Our parents, there were 12 of us. We were, n- we were poor, and yet my parents never turned anyone away. We had people over all the time. We would share our food with everybody, and it shows in the way that all my siblings are. Jordan would give away her clothes, I mean, to me, <laughs> and I would give them away in Brazil without her knowing. <laughs> she, uh, uh, but she never said a thing about it. Super generous, always giving, always letting, hands open for God to do because they're things. They're things. We can be living for something so much higher. Eternity. We're sowing into eternity. Treasures in heaven that will be forever. I'm not going to get caught up in things. So I'm going to read some scripture to renew our minds of what it looks like to be a son. I mean, think of it. We are adopted into the family of God. 
Don't box God in. He's big. In Genesis 22, he said, I am Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He gave us that name right in the beginning of all things. And what was that situation? Abraham and Isaac. That was a big one. Sacrifice your son. The Lord provided. He, he required of Abraham the highest level of giving. Put your son on the altar and give me the promise. And Abraham was about to do it, and God intervened, and he got the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So we're going to look at Matthew 10. Jehovah Jireh is our father. Matthew 10, verses 7 through 9. This is Jesus sending out um, the 12 disciples, and he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Freely you received, freely give. Jesus gives us a principle. Uh, you didn't get any of this on your own. Remember who I am. Freely you received, freely give. Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your multi money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the workers worthy of his support. Freely you've received, freely give. Don't require of others to give to you in order to give. Matthew 7, while we're in Matthew, flip a few pages over, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, we all know this passage, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you where his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. So one day I was reading this, and I was thinking in context, this is talking about our Father. We can ask him, and he gives us good things, right? Why would he give us a stone if we're asking for bread? He's a Father. Think of if your children ask you for a good thing, are you not going to want to give them a good thing? You want to give them a good thing. And that verse 12 is connected to that passage. It says, th so therefore in everything, treat others the same way you want to be treated. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, this is in context of me talking to God about things, right, that I want. And he's saying, in this context, treat others the same way you want to be, to be treated. And I'm thinking, I need to treat God the same way I expect him to treat me. Uh, if I'm expecting him to give me good things when I ask him, I need to be giving good things to him when he asks me. Does that make sense? Treat others the same way. We expect God to give us everything without giving anything to him. We expect him to give us good things without giving anything to him and say, oh, God, you said you would. Oh, God, you have more than me. No. Treat. So if you want God to give you a car, 
give him your car. <laughs> Who's ready to give up their car to give it away? Yeah. <laughs> but really, like, th- we have to challenge ourselves. What are the places in our hearts where we're holding on to things? Luke 6, 37 and 38. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. By the measure that you give, it will be measured to you in return. And then flip over to Proverbs 11:24, because this is the same principle. Proverbs 11:24 and 25. It says, "There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want." The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. This is a principle of heaven, the kingdom of God, that the one who withholds is going to be in lack. But the one who scatters, think of what scattering looks like. It's just like throwing generously wherever. They said they will not be in lack, but they'll increase all the more. The one who waters will themselves be watered. It's a principle of the kingdom that we need to live by. And then 2 Corinthians. I have two more scriptures before we're done. This one and one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's just basically so that we can see that this is the way that we're meant to live as children of God. Free from the love of money. Free from the love of things. 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. The whole chapter 9 is excellent on generosity, but these, um, so feel free to read it on your own. But it says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not, uh, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful And God is able to make all grace abound so that always having all sufficient in sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So he's saying again the same principle. He who sows sparingly, he who withholds will only reap sparingly. It makes sense. A sower that only plants a couple seeds is only going to get a couple products, things that grow. But the one who generously sows is going to reap generously, right? It makes sense. We see it. And then lastly, Mark 12 to end. We've talked about this here before um, as we're trying to cultivate a heart attitude of giving that is just like we're all 
no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's happening. And it's not just monetary, right? We, we give monetary because sometimes money has the biggest hold on us, but we want to give from our gifts and our talents and our abilities. Like Marie made tons of quilts for our summer festival thing and whoopie pies and all this stuff. And she, she was giving unto the Lord of the talents that he's given to her. Does that make sense? She wasn't withholding or saying, you need to pay me to do this. She did it joyfully, cheerfully. Money tends to be harder for us because we're like money. But I'm not just saying just money. We want it to be everything that we have is the Lord's. So we give to him. So Mark chapter 12, verse 41. So this is Jesus. He says, and he sat down. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. This is where in the, the temple that they would have people go to give. And began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounts to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. Wow. That is like one of the most impactful stories to me because the rich and the wealthy were giving. They, it's not that they were withholding. They were giving and they were giving a lot, but it was out of their surplus. It wasn't touching them. It wasn't making them uncomfortable. And this widow came with all that she had to live on. Can you imagine just wiping out your bank account and saying, this is all I have to live on. Lord, here you go. You're my provider. Cheerful. Not out of compulsion, not grudgingly, not like, I don't want to do this. No, out of the abundance of your heart because we recognize who he is. And Jesus didn't rebuke her. He didn't say, this widow, not wise. <laughs> she should be, you know, keeping that because she's going to be starving the next few days. That's not what he said. He highlighted her above the wealthy and said she gave more than everybody. Jesus looks at our heart attitude. He doesn't look at an amount. He looks at the heart. Are we giving to him? Are we giving joyfully and cheerfully because of who he is. Do we recognize in our giving, God, you're my provider. I don't worry about a thing. As believers, as children of God, we shouldn't be walking around being like, um, declaring that we don't have enough. And I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of that. Because I can walk around even if I don't have enough and say, he's my provider. He is enough. He will provide. And we rest in the truth of who he is. And this highlights a mature son and daughter because we trust in the ability, not only just the ability of our father to provide, but that his desire is to provide for us just as you would for your children, just as you would for your children, and even more so, way more than you would for your children, does God want to provide for us? And so that concludes the orphan mentality. 
teaching series. But these are all just little points of attitudes and mentalities that we have that we are making us, we're living like orphans in the family of God, where God has all, he owns all things, and yet we're choosing to live as we did outside the family when he's saying, what are you doing? I own all things. No need to hoard. No need to pull it yourself. I can provide. I will provide. So the challenge is this week, ask the Lord what he wants you to give. It might be money. It might be things. It might be a talent. It might be time. It might be, I don't know what it could be. I'm going to ask him to challenge me because I've been challenged before in the past, but I noticed, you know, any of us, we can grow comfortable. We can, you know, I was challenged before. No, I haven't been challenged like that in a while. So, Lord, help me. Take challenge me. What, what would be hard for me to give? Ask it of me. I want to give freely to you because it came from you anyway. So, Father, I just pray that this week y- you would grace us to see who you are, your provision, how awesome you are, how faithful you've been, how everything we have comes from you. And, uh, and even when it makes us feel nervous or fearful or uh, touches on tough places, God, that we would have grace, especially this week, to just give, to challenge ourselves in giving and to not withhold from you, but to give and sow generously so that we would reap generously and sow into things that are eternal and not just temporary. Father, we're giving you full access to our lives, to uh, the things that we own, the things that we have, our money, our possessions, our time, our talents. You can have it all, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would do whatever you need to do in our hearts to make us pliable, that we would look and live like real, mature sons and daughters in the earth, and that it would be a reflection to the world of who you are, and it would draw many in. We love you so much, Lord, and thank you for inviting us into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.